Well, good morning. Hello to you all. You know, it was this Sunday last year that I was actually last here. It just so happens it's been exactly a year. Not a lot's happened in that year, as you know. Who would have thought COVID? Like, oh my goodness. My, my wife and I and our kids, we went away on vacation in January and went camping and got, we were only there two hours and we had to come back because of the forest fires, the bushfires, and we thought, it can't get worse than this this year. Little did we know that it would just be the beginning of things. I was so pleased to discover that COVID didn't really hit Parramatta. <laughs> there was a few times we went out to Parramatta and you're like, nope, clearly no COVID here. <laughs> Everywhere is just packed, just carrying on as usual. But us in Warunga, it was a bit more challenging. We went online, and like you did for many months. Then when we were eventually able to go back, because they capped it at 100, we had to go to three services. And that was definitely different for us when we've only been ever one, particularly having a two mornings and afternoon service was, was challenging. But it is so good to see what the Lord has been doing here over this last year. You know, the Lord has been kind. You can, you can isolate a church. You can isolate a pastor. You can get everybody on Zoom. But you can't isolate the Lord. He continues to move throughout all the time. He continues to build his church. He's not put off at all. He's in no way tempted to stop or cease. And to see what the Lord has done in your midst over this past year has been absolute pure joy. Um, and we give thanks to God for you. There are a whole load of people in Warunga that pray for you, that give thanks to God for you, and that love what the Lord has done here in, in your midst. So proud of you guys that were a part of the original planting team. I was thinking actually on the, the way here, it was only sort of 14, 15 months ago that we're sitting in our lounge room talking about what it's going to be like with high hopes and dreams. And the Lord has not just answered your hopes and dreams. He's done more than that. Um, and if you're new to Sovereign Grace, you've come in the last year. This is your church home. This is your church. I just want you to know we're so thrilled that we were able to help to make a home for you. And that's just the kindness of the Lord. It was through the courage of the people that planted this church. And look at it now. You're all just one. I have the privilege today of bringing God's word to you. I want to encourage you that your pastor is, without doubt, one of my favorite pastors in all the traveling that I get to do. Um, when I get with Riley, which is monthly, the way he talks about you is the way you would want a pastor to talk about you. He talks about you like a father does appropriately. He cares about you. He loves you. And to see what the Lord has done in this man's life. And then Richard, hearing Richard up here this morning, you're like, oh my goodness, groan. Just groan in the Lord. And it's just a pleasure to see what the Lord is doing and with these men and your team. Well, let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6. I'm aware that you are presently in a series on Matthew. And when Riley instructed me would I be willing to carry on in the series of Matthew. I was excited. There's some amazing passages in Matthew. And then he told me the passage. I'm like, I think that passage is about money. He's like, yes. I'm like, okay, so I get to come once a year and I get to speak on money. How can this be? But it is, as we will discover this morning, a wonderful passage. And it's a wonderful passage because these are the words of Jesus. Jesus is addressing us. He wants our hearts in love and care. He wants to talk to us about our money. And so I've called this message the true power of money. 
And we're going to read together Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Lord, your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. Lord, I pray that this word would do the work amongst us today. Lord, as I bring my five loaves and two fish to this offering this morning, would you multiply them? Would you do what only you can do? So by the time we leave, we are well fed. It's like we've been eating from a banquet. Lord, come by your grace and do what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as Christians, whether we like it or not, we really are in the race of our lives, are we not? The Bible talks about the life that we all have as a race. It talks about it numerous occasions. One of my favorite places and word pictures of this effect, it comes in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I love it. It is missional. It is intense. He is up and at us, and he wants to help us see, listen, as Christians, you've all been signed up for a race. Now, make no mistake, you didn't get yourself into the race. You were saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is all his marvelous doing. But as he saved you, he positions you onto the start line. You need to look around as you stand on the start line because you will notice you are in a vast stadium. There is a great cloud of witnesses looking on at all of us as we prepare and as we run this race. The great cloud of witnesses are those that are talked about in Hebrews 11. It's Abraham, it's Moses, it's Noah, it's Rahab. It's men and women from the past who have seen God be faithful again and again and again. And they are there to cheer us on. Sovereign Grace Church, Parramatta, keep going. He's been faithful to us. He'll be faithful to you. And we are called then to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely that will weigh us down in our lives and to run this race with endurance. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I love that. The writer addresses where we need to look if we are going to run effectively in this race. And when it comes then to having one to whom we can look, 
a teacher, a trainer, a coach for this race. It simply does not get any better than King Jesus. Jesus is the one who is supreme in personhood. He is the one who is alone, the image of the invisible God. To see Jesus is to see God. To encounter Jesus is to encounter God. He's supreme in who he is. He's also supreme in creation. The Bible tells us for from him and through him and to him are all things. He's the founder of all things. He's the goal of all things. And ultimately, he's the sustainer of all things. The reason why your heart is beating in this moment is because he has arranged the atoms to form in exactly the way they do and is not letting it cease. He sustains it all. And he's also supreme in your reconciliation. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his work in your life. You were running far from him. You were hostile in mind. You were doing evil deeds. You were alienated from God, as was I. But as Riley read out this morning, he came after us when the time was right on the greatest mission ever told. And he died in your place so that you may have life and that in abundance. Listen, pay attention. It is this great king that has pulled up a seat alongside us in this wonderful Galilean hillside this morning to talk to us about our race. He wants to train us. He wants to teach us. He wants to coach us. This text is wonderfully in the Sermon of the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, which is 5, 6, and 7. It's all about the kingdom of heaven. Another way of looking at the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God, the race that we're all in, the race that we're to run with passion for the glory of God. Who's the king? It's Jesus. He's teaching us. What does it look like to live in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received? What does it look like to run this race with endurance? And right here, he wants to talk to us about our money. And here's the lesson. Six verses, but here's the point. He wants to help us understand that our race and our money are without doubt linked. Easily missed. The power of money is not primarily what you can go buy. There's more to it than that. The power of money is the reality that our money and our hearts are massively linked. You see, quite clearly in the Bible, Jesus isn't at all embarrassed to talk about money. Really embarrassed to talk about money, right? We get a growth group, you get a life group, and people are like, let me tell you about my sin. And they're happy to talk about life, but don't talk to me about money. My money is my business. We lo- we're just slightly awkward about it. We're slightly embarrassed about it. Pastors are definitely embarrassed about it. Why? Well, because we get paid for by people's giving. It's awkward. It's an awkward conversation. It's actually easier to come to another church and talk about it than it is your own. But it can be challenging. And yet Jesus isn't challenged. Jesus isn't embarrassed at all. Out of 39 parables in the Bible, 11 of them talk about money. Out of all the words that Jesus speaks about and they are recorded in the Bible, 15% of them relate to money. Why? Well, because Jesus cares about us. He loves us. And he knows that our hearts and our money are intrinsically linked. And we need to understand that. Or we will never run this race well and for the glory of the Lord. Three points in this morning that are designed to help us understand this text. 
and our trust grows so that we may be able to run the race of our lives. And here's the first. Number one, the divine opportunity. This is where this story begins with an opportunity that is given to us by King Jesus himself. And this is what he says, verses 19 through 21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, as Jesus addresses us on this issue, it's important to understand what he means by heart. I mean, what really does that mean, my heart? I mean, what exactly is that? Well, the heart, as biblically defined, is the real you. Whenever you read heart or something similar in the Bible, it's talking about who you really are. Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, the Bible uses heart to describe the inner person. Scripture divides the human being into two parts, the inner and the outer being. The outer person is your physical self. The inner person is your spiritual self. The synonym the Bible most often uses for the inner being is the heart. It encompasses all the other terms and functions used to describe the inner person, spirit, soul, mind, emotions, will, and so forth. These other terms do not describe something different from the heart. Rather, they are aspects of it, parts or functions of the inner person. The heart, then, is the real you. It is the essential core of who you are. For though we put a tremendous amount of emphasis on the outer person, we must always remember that the true person is the person within. When Jesus is talking about heart, he's talking about the real you, who you really are before the Lord and who you really are in real life. Most of us, particularly teenagers, spend a lot of time looking after the outside, but Jesus here is addressing the inside and the real you. And what we learn in the Bible again and again is that our money and our hearts, the real you, are always intrinsically linked. You see it illustrated all the way through the Bible. I mean, in Joshua chapter 7, we have the story of Achan. He's a soldier from the tribe of Judah and single-handedly, he causes the defeat of the entire Israelite army at Ai and suffered death himself along with his family. Why? Well, because God had told them not to take anything from Babylonia. What does he do? Uh, he kind of falls in love in his heart with a garment and a bit of an ingot of gold, and so he takes it. They all die. Why did he take it? Well, because his heart was more affectionate towards that piece of gold and that garment than it was in honoring God. Solomon. We read all about him in the Bible, particularly in the book of Kings. He is King David's son. He became, indeed, a great king. But he allowed in his life a love for women and a love for money to ruin his spiritual life and his love for the Lord. He shipwrecked his life. Why? Because he loved money more than he loved the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. That's a really freaky story. They so loved money that they lied about a piece of land they had sold, claiming that they'd given all the money to the church. I don't know why they even bothered. Why they didn't just say, hey, listen, we're going to give nearly all of it, but we're going to keep this for ourselves. No, 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 we've given you it all. It was a lie. They died 
That's really awkward. Why did they lie? Well, they lied because they knew ultimately that they had promised it all to the Lord, but when they saw the money, it was so attractive. That's what they wanted, more than they wanted to honor the Lord. Our hearts and our money are always intrinsically linked, and that is exactly what Jesus is talking about right here in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is a divine reality. It cannot be avoided. It is just a divine reality. Wherever your treasure is, where you are putting your money and your energy and your time, your heart will be there as well. And it's not just a divine reality, however. If you pay attention to the words, it is also a divine opportunity. Because in the way this is written, what Jesus is ultimately implying and talking about here is, listen, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's the implication. Here's the opportunity. So use your treasures to point your heart to things above. It's a divine opportunity. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, it's a waste of time. I mean, moths are going to get it and rust is going to get it. Thieves are going to break it and steal. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Well, ultimately, you'll be crediting to your account on that day. But more even than that, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we use our money for the glory of the Lord, guess what you end up thinking about all the time? The kingdom of heaven, the glories of the home to come. Because that's where your heart starts to go. Where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And we need to use our treasures then to point our hearts to things above. That really is the true power of money. It's not just about spending power. It has the ability to help you point your hearts to things that are truly out of this world. And my friends, I submit to you, in this life and in this race, this is a divine opportunity that we absolutely need. Allow me to explain. It can be so tempting, I think, to think of and embrace this world as home, can it not? Just looking at the horizontal. It's so easy to embrace it and think of it as home. The greatest challenge for us here in Sydney is not persecution from the church. It is seduction, persecution from the world. It is seduction by the world. Our greatest challenge is not death by bullets. Our greatest challenge is death by distraction. You know, that's not the case all over the world. Sovereign Grace at the minute is serving some guys in Ethiopia that are actually Somalians. And the main leader there um, just in this past year has led 179 Muslims to Christ. And we're building house churches through these men. They want to become Sovereign Grace pastors, be a part of our global family. Here's the thing about this man in particular, the key leader of that. He has a complete target on, on his head. So we can't say who he is. That's why they do house churches, because it's too risky for them to actually gather as a church. If he is found, they will kill him. Why? Because he's using magic to convert people to Christianity. That's his daily life, married with children. That ain't us in Sydney. Our greatest challenge is, is not what he's walking through. His greatest challenge is persecution. Our greatest challenge is seduction. We get so distracted in this race that we forget what this is all about. And we get so distracted that we start to embrace this world as home, yet in reality, our home is not this place, is it? 
Time and time again, we read in the Bible that you are aliens here. You are lodgers here. Sojourners here. Why? Well, because heaven is your home. That's the reality of Scripture all the way through. You know, it's funny because we obviously moved over here from the UK, so you always feel like visitors. Guess what? Even if you're Australian, you are too. Heaven is your home. This is not your home. This is just the place where you live at the moment. And what am I meant to be doing here? The greatest race of your lives is what we're meant to be doing here. Heaven will be your home. Just imagine heaven for a moment. Something that we don't look at all that often. Heaven is the place where ultimately you will go if you have put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It is a place where there will be no more pain. No more arthritis or mental illness or speech disorders. No more cancer or AIDS or tooth decay. There will be no dentists in heaven, praise God. There will be no more heart attacks or asthma, no more coronavirus. It will be gone, eradicated once and for all. There will be no more sin, no more rape or theft or murder, no more fear, no more uh, drunkenness, no more crime or war or abuse. There will be no more death or corruption or decay in any shape or form. Instead, you will be living in a place that will be one big explosion of joy. What will it be like to hear the Savior laugh? What will it be like to hear the Father laughing in a way it echoes throughout the heavenly realm? We will be feasting together. We will be drinking together. There will be music together. There will be worship. We will be living in paradise. All the trees and the fields and the rivers and the mountains and the beaches and the glaciers that we see, they're just a mere foretaste of what is to come in that day. Every gift that a human has has always been given by the Lord. And you see different artwork or statues or singing where you just think, man, that is incredible. Imagine how much more incredible it's going to be to see somewhere that's been made by the giver of the gift. And we'll be given new bodies to enjoy it. You won't just be an angel on a cloud, two inches high with wings and a harp, no. No, you'll be given new bodies and your souls will be transformed and made perfect. You'll still be recognized, you will carry the same name and yet you'll be able to run and walk and touch and talk and see and hear in glorious perfection in a way that you've never been able to do. And incredibly, you won't be alone. You'll be able to encounter angels and heavenly beings. There'll be folks in the past there. Noah and Moses and David and Peter and James and John. You'll be eventually able to look Enoch in the eye and go, where did you go? You know, you'll, you'll just be able to have that wonderful moment. And there'll be people from every tribe and language and nation there. How good is it going to be to see people from all different nationalities laying their lives down for the Lamb and singing to the King? And yet, most special of all, he will be there. The king will be there. He will be there to welcome us home. Listen, that heaven that I've just described is your home. But how quickly we forget. This becomes our home. We forget about that. And so how kind of the Lord then to give us this divine opportunity of giving so that through my giving, I may be able to point my heart not here, but there. If you spend all your money and your treasures here, guess where your heart will be? 
your treasure is there's your heart. It'll be right here in Parramatta. And I like the place, but not as much as that place. <laughs> yeah, when you use your money to divest of yourself and invest into the kingdom of God, hey, this isn't a sales pitch. This is just the words of Jesus. He's trying to care for us in this race. And so he wants us to understand it's a divine opportunity to point your heart to things above. I thank God, particularly for the planting team that was sent out here, that that was always your stories. It's why you came. I think in part it's why the Lord has blessed what you're doing. Keep doing it. Live for that day, not this day. Live for him. Your heart will go there. Jesus then begins with this wonderful description of this divine opportunity. And then he turns it on his head and gives us the second point, number two, the divine warning. Gives us an opportunity, and then he wants to give us a warning if we just fail to hear him or just find ourselves indifferent to him. Look at verse 24. He says, No one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen, you cannot serve God and money. You just can't do it. I was reading something by Tim Keller some time ago, and this is what he says on this point. Tim Keller says, You cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says, and yet we like to think we can, because we are great compromisers. I thought that is such a profound statement and so true. Here's what it goes. I do a bargaining with God. I mean, God, I have two children, but I have five. I'll just play along a minute. I have two children. I love them both. I serve them both. I have two friends. I have more than two friends, but I have two friends. I love them both. I serve them both. I have two employers. I'm employed by Sovereign Grace Church of Warunga and Sovereign Grace Church is global. I'm pretty good at this. I should be okay to serve you and money. I mean, just... Turn a blind eye. Let me get on with my life. It'll be fine. And Jesus looks back at you and says, you know what? No, you can't. It don't work like that. On this one, you have to make a choice. And he explains why, actually, in the preceding verses, in verses 22 and 23. Pay attention, because this one can sound like a Lord of the Rings riddle. But... I'm going to show you it's not. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What is he saying? Well, two things. First of all, he wants us to understand that the eye is the lamp of the body. We get that. Now, I think it's why I don't encourage our church to, like, text each other if they need to say anything, like, super meaningful, whether it be really good or really bad. Why? Because you can't see people's eyes. And people's eyes give a lot away. When you actually look at somebody, you can tell. Are they, like, irritated? Or is this good news, bad news? I can't tell. You know, but when you see them, you can see. It's why I love it when we gather. It's why I love when we gather the church together because you can tell by the look on somebody's face and particularly their eyes how they are traveling. The eyes are the lamp of the body. They say so much about what is going on within. But what Jesus says next helps us to understand that the eye doesn't just let light out. It's also what lets light in. 
William Barclay says it this way in his commentary. He says, the idea behind this point is one of childlike simplicity. For the eye is regarded as the window that not only lets light out, but also that which gets light into the whole body. The color and state of a window, therefore, decides what light gets into a room. And if the window is clear, clean, and undistorted, the light will come flooding into the room and will illuminate every corner of it. But if the glass of the window is colored or frosted, distorted, dirty, or obscure, the light will be hindered and the room will not be lit up. So then, Jesus says, the light which gets into any man's heart and soul and being depends on the spiritual state of the eye through which it has to pass. Listen, for the eye is the window of the whole body. That's brilliant. This is how that works. Imagine the scene again of the great race. The race that you're all in. Living for Jesus. We are running headlong for Jesus. Seeking to endure this race. Put off sin. Put on things that cling so closely. I just want to run for Jesus. What he's saying here is this. If you have a healthy eye, guess what you'll be looking at? Jesus the founder and perfecter of your faith. You'll be looking to God. You'll just be running for God. He will be everything in your life. That's what a healthy eye is. That's why you want to sit at his feet and listen to him because your eyes are healthy. They're not just letting stuff out. They're letting stuff in, which is Christ. But if you have an unclean eye, you instead will be looking at money. And instead of running... You will be distracted. Because there'll be plenty of other things buying for your attention. You know, I, I would give. We would give to the church. We would point our hearts to things above. But right now, we're just going to spend on the house. You know, we'll be back, Jesus. We'll be back. But right now, I've really got to do this. And then this becomes this. And we need a new car, you know? We've just got to give ourselves to this right. We will be back. We will, you have our house. But right now, we've got to do this. And then that becomes this. You know, we've had kids and we really should put them through private school. That's what good parents do, you know. And uh, It should be a Christian private school as well. And it should probably be very expensive, the best one in the district. But what that means is I can't give money to you right now because I've got to do this for my children. But you have my heart. Um, but right now, I'm there. Do you know what's happening there? Instead of running headlong for Jesus, giving everything to Jesus, you're distracted all the time. And what Jesus wants to help you see is that ain't never going to be effective running. Because you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You have to make a choice. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is not just a divine opportunity. It is a caring warning to not waste your life. The true power of money is it points our heart. And so we need to think about how we're using it for the glory of the Lord. Because it has such power over where we end up looking. You know, I'm so grateful that Jesus here takes that seat beside us on the Galilean hillside. Full of grace, full of truth. He wants to picard before our eyes this divine opportunity. And then he wants to picard before our eyes this divine warning. Why? Because he loves us. 
And where that leaves us, point three, is with the divine choice. A choice. A choice that we all have to make. See, one of my favorite books of the Bible is James. I just think he's so wonderfully practical and he's so wonderfully to the point. I don't know whether I could have handled being in his church because he's so blunt. But you know where you stand with James. And in James chapter 1, verse 21, he says, This word is able to save your souls. He's talking about this. This word, God's word, is able to save your souls. It's able to save you from your sin as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's able to save you from distractions as you live for Jesus Christ. This word is able to save your souls. It's a wonderful promise, a wonderful truth. It is a profound and glorious truth. But then he says this. James 1, verse 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I love that. This word is able to save your souls. James is placarding it before our eyes. But if all you do is hear it and don't do anything with it, you have just wasted 40 minutes of your life that you can never get back. All you've done is looked at yourself in the mirror and realized, man, I have some problems, and then gone away and made no changes. You will never be blessed in that. It's not good enough to just listen to Jesus and then go, oh, thanks very much, and go on and live our lives. No changes. It just doesn't even make sense. Either we don't believe who he is or we don't believe what he's saying. But at least let's be honest about that rather than just avoiding it. So where this leads us, I think, my friends, is with this question. And it's what then are you going to do with this we have been addressed by King Jesus this morning, the greatest trainer and coach you could ever imagine. And so in light of what he's saying, in light of the reality of where our treasure is, there is our heart. And in light of the reality that we simply cannot serve two masters, what then are you going to do with this now? And I really want to encourage you as a congregation, as individuals, take time over this next week or so to really sit down with your Bible in your hand and your bank account in your hand and pray through, is what he's saying here reflective of my life? I'm not after your money at all. But I do want to represent King Jesus well. And he does not want us to be deceived in this. He wants to bless us in our doing. My friends, we really are in the race of our lives. We've been entered into this race by His grace alone. The stadium has indeed been filled all around, looking down on you. They are cheering you on. Don't give up. Don't get distracted. Keep going. You are not wasting your time. And one day when you get to the end, Jesus will be there. Wayne Grudem wonderfully describes that moment. He says, 
when we look into the face of our Lord and he looks back at us with infinite love, we will see in him the fulfillment of everything that we know to be good and right and desirable in the universe. But when we finally see the Lord face to face, our hearts will want for nothing else. My friends, live for that day. Run for that day. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, and listening to Jesus, the greatest coach that ever lived. Run with endurance. Run well. And may grace abound to you all. Let's pray. Savior, I thank you so much for the way you address us. Lord, you haven't just commissioned us to the race and then shook our hand and let us go. No, you are standing with us each and every second of every step, helping us, aiding us, guarding our hearts, helping our minds. Lord, when I think about your race, oh my, it is staggering to think that you would be mindful of us. I think about your incarnation, as I think about your life, your death, your resurrection. I'm amazed that we get to be taught by you. But Lord, thank you for teaching us as the founder and creator of all things. Thank you for teaching us as the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. And Lord, thank you for your words. May we apply them and may we be blessed in our doings. In Jesus' name, amen.